Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful. Open your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of 2 Peter and chapter 1. I believe that Peter is exhorting the Christians to cling to the word of God here in chapter 1. Um, he uh, makes mention of it in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And these are God's promises in, in the Bible. And then he um, mentions about um, uh, increasing their faith and so on in the next several verses. Um, he talks about um, uh, making your calling and election sure um, in verse 10. And um, he says in verse 12, I'll not be uh, negligent to put you in remembrance of these things. Again, in reference to the word of God. Um, he talks about as long as he's alive, verse 13, to remind them of these things. And um, verse 15, he'll endeavor that uh, you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance, the writing of, of scriptures through Peter. And then the portion that we read. And take note of verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. And we're going to talk about that. And then, boom, 19, 20, 21. Deal solidly with the word of God and our need for the Bible. Folks, we need the Bible. You take the Bible from us, I don't think we've got a church. You take the Bible from us, I don't believe we have a faith. We surely don't have a hope. The Bible is God's written word for us. And it doesn't change. Hallelujah. And we've got the word of God. We got every word that God wants us to have. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We got it. We've got it in print. And it's our joy and our privilege to be able to open the word of God every day. And to let it get into our heart, into our soul, into our spirit. We always encourage people to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Why? Because it'll bring you to a knowledge of the truth. Thy word is truth. And the truth shall make you free. Very important. If you're not reading the Bible. You're not eating. You're not consuming the spiritual manna. The heavenly food God has for you and for me. And if you go a long time without eating. You know what can happen. Bye bye. Today we're going to deal with this phrase here in verse 18, the Holy Mount. We're going to talk about that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the Bible. Now this portion in particular is our, our meat and potatoes today. And we ask that you would please feed us, have the Holy Spirit apply this precious sacred word to our hearts. Father, we pray for those today that may have uh, troubles and the problems that they're experiencing. And we ask that through the word of God today, that you would give them hope and strength and answers to their troubling situations. We pray for those that may feel all alone. We pray for those that may feel somewhat in despair. And Father, we ask that through the scriptures today, the preaching of the word of God, you would give them hope and light at the end of the tunnel and warmth and comfort. O our heavenly father, speak to us today in Jesus name. Amen. 
I'd like to talk with you about this expression, the holy mount. Now, when a mountain has no name, it's referred to as just a mountain. But when they give it a name, then they call it mount. For example, Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, the Mount of Olives or Mount Olivet. You get the idea? Peter refers to a holy mount. We know what he's talking about. It's what we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's spoken of in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The question is, where is this mountain? He doesn't give it a name. Can we locate it? Well, the Mount of Transfiguration is never clearly identified in the Bible. However, there are two mountains that are considered as possibilities. And I have them for you here. The first one is located about 11 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Let me get my handy dandy little pointer here. There's the Sea of Galilee up there. See, there's Jerusalem down here, all the way up here, somewhere outside of Nazareth, I guess. And that little guy right there, I got this off Google. So uh, that is uh, the first one called Mount Tabor, T-A-B-O-R, Mount Tabor. Now, I have a picture of it. There we go. Mount Tabor. Welcome to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor, um, the earliest traditions tend to identify Mount Tabor as the Mount of Transfiguration. It is a little less than 2,000 feet in elevation. It stands all alone there. Pretty hard to miss that one. And um, on the very top of it, there's a Roman Catholic church built. If you were to climb Mount Tabor, it would take you less than two hours, considering that you, know, you can climb up a mountain. I mean, if you're in a wheelchair, it's going to take you a whole lot longer, okay? But for the average person, it would take you less than two hours to get to the top. And I'm sure many people could do that in an hour. Something like the grouse grind, I suppose. Now, the second uh, possible mount of transfiguration is located 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, 40 miles north, ta-da! Right up there, this is called Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is much higher than Mount Tabor. In fact, it's uh, close to five times as high. It's over, well over 9,000 feet in elevation. And um, it appears to be where the previous events in Matthew 16, because it's Matthew 17, where you have the Mount of Transfiguration. So you have some previous events that happened in that area in Matthew 16. And uh, I have for you a photo of Mount Hermon. And uh, that's it right there. That's the top of Mount Hermon. So it's about 9,000 feet up there. Okay. And standing on the top, that's not me, by the way, standing on the top, you can see the clouds and so on. Mount Hermon, on the top of Mount Hermon, by the way, is the only place in Israel with snow. And so every year, uh, lots of Israelis go up to the top of Mount Hermon. And it's very expensive. But that's the only opportunity they have for snow. Ha! They should live here in Surrey, shouldn't they? Aren't you glad you don't live in Newfoundland right now? Wow. Have you seen some of the pictures? Man, you can't see Newfoundland. There's so much snow. Well, Surrey's bad enough, right? 
Now we got about nine days or 40 days and 40 nights of rain coming or something like that. We got a lot of rain to wash away all our snow. I hope you took a picture of it. But back here to Mount Hermon. Um, to climb Mount Hermon, it would take you more like eight hours to climb up Mount Hermon rather than less than two or one, something like that. Now, personally, myself, I kind of think that Mount Hermon is the proper Mount of Transfiguration. You say, why is that? A couple of reasons. Number one, in Mark chapter nine, verse two, it's called a high mountain. The Mount of Transfiguration is called a high mountain. And I'm sorry, but Mount Tabor doesn't seem to me to be a high mountain. And uh, number two, second reason, in Luke chapter 9, verse 32, it says that at the top, the disciples were all very sleepy. Now, I'm only guessing, but I think that it's because of that eight-hour hike to the top of the mountain as to what made them so sleepy. But I must be honest, in the final analysis, we simply do not know for sure which is the proper Mount of Transfiguration. It could be Tabor, it could be Hermon, or it might be another one, possibly, who knows. You can put that away while we turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So let's take a look at this actual happening that Peter refers to in Luke chapter 9. As I mentioned, it's uh, told of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we'll just look at the passage in Luke chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 28. Follow along with me as I read. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. We're on verse 29, Luke chapter 9. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. That would be his death on the cross, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Pause there. Have you ever spoken and not known what you said? It, it, hey, history repeats itself. Verse 34. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone and they kept it close and told no man in those days of those things which they had seen. Well, there it is. The Mount of Transfiguration experience. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration somewhat parallels what happened 1500 years before this on Mount Sinai when Moses went up Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord and he came back with his face shining. You can read about that in Exodus 34. Only in this case, our Lord Jesus went up the mountain to meet and he began to shine as he met with Moses and also Elijah. 
Think about it. What an awesome, unbelievable, fantastic experience this would have been to have with Almighty God. To have been there that day and to have seen those things. The Lord Jesus transfigured and Moses and Elijah. And then the voice of the Father. I don't think Peter ever forgot those words for as long as he lived. What a fantastic thing to happen. In fact, I think it was so fantastic. If you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, I want you to notice something. It's small. You may think it insignificant, but I want to draw to your attention. This experience was so phenomenal in the life of Peter that watch what he does. In verse 18, Peter just doesn't say when we were with him in the mount. What Peter does is he adds an adjective. What is that adjective that, G- that Peter added to the mount? Holy. Isn't that something? You know, the expression holy mount is only used two times in the entire Bible. Did you know that? The words holy mount. Now, holy hill is more but the words holy mount two times only. This is one of them right here. You can go home and look up the other one, but this is one right here. And I think that this experience that Peter had was so awesome that he adds the adjective holy to the name Mount. It was that precious. It was that exciting an experience. Peter, James, and John all had one of the most unusual encounters with almighty God that the entire experience became to them a holy experience. Are you following this? Hence, he calls it the holy mount. Peter had a holy mount experience with Jesus. In fact, I, my opinion only, but I tend to think that all of the Christians back then knew the exact location of this mount. And that may be why Peter didn't even have to mention the name of the mount. That's a possibility. But let me ask you this question. You that are here today. Have you ever had a holy mount experience at all ever in your Christian life? Have you ever had a holy mount experience where you were so close to God? D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, had such an experience on the day that he was filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1871. Years later, he told the story to a church in Glasgow, Scotland. And I have recorded what he said. Quote, I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for me. Pause right here. Every Sunday morning when I get up to preach, two of our church ladies excuse themselves from the auditorium and they go into my office. And all the while I'm preaching, they get down on their knees and they pray. And they're praying for us right now, for God's power. If you feel God speaking to your heart today, it's largely in part because of the prayers of the ladies that are praying for you and I right now. And here's D.L. Moody that was delighted when he began to preach. These two ladies were praying. 
At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, we've been praying for you, Mr. Moody. I said, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, because you need power. Me, I need power. I said to myself, why, I thought I had power. I had a large Sunday school and the longest, largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at that time, and I was in a sense satisfied. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about being anointed for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and we got together and got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing from the Holy Spirit. And there came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to pray as I never did before. Now listen, I must pause. This is not Pentecostalism. The Pentecostals only began around 1900. This is 30 years before that. This has nothing to do with the modern speaking in tongues and the modern manifestations of Pentecostalism. This is something that's biblical. The filling of the Holy Spirit spoken of very clearly several places in the Bible and the book of Ephesians as well. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He continues, I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. The hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, Oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I've asked him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would now not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you gave me all of Glasgow, that's the city in which he was speaking. It would be as the small dust of the balances. Isn't that something? Moody had many close experiences with God in his life, but this one was like a holy mount experience. Are you catching what I'm saying? This is important not to miss. All the great soul winners have been filled with the Holy Spirit, as have many wonderful Christians down through the years. And each one have had this type of holy mount experience where they got alone with God and God became so close and so real. Abraham had a holy mount experience with God when God called upon him to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you remember reading about that? There's a holy mount experience. Jacob had a holy mount experience with God first at Bethel with the vision of the ladder. And then later at Penuel, east of the Jordan River, in which he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. He had a holy mount experience. King David had several wonderful experiences with God, but there was a time when he got away from God and he sinned with Bathsheba. And it seemed that he lost all his closeness with God. And if I can use the expression church services for him, just became routine, run of the mill. That's all that they did. 
He just felt miserable. Then came the day of his repentance and revival. And he prayed in Psalm 51 verse 12. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he got his heart right with God again. And he experienced a holy mount experience of closeness with God once again. Is it possible that someone is here today and their walk with God just seems like routine? Uh, Why am I even doing this? I don't seem to get anything out of it. Oh, my beloved, listen. You can have a holy mount experience with God. Give me time, I'll explain how. The Apostle Paul, I believe, had several meetings with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was one time in particular that he describes as having been brought up to the third heaven. Where he saw and he heard things that he could never explain. He had no language to speak of. And it was after that that he received a thorn in his flesh. Do you remember reading about this? It was the messenger of Satan. Why? To buffet him. Why? Lest he should be exalted with pride. When you draw so ever so close to God, you too may require a thorn. The apostle John, who was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, along with Peter and James, John even had another experience. And it was when he was on the Isle of Patmos, where he met the Lord Jesus Christ and he wrote the book of Revelation. I'll tell you something, that was a holy Mount experience with God. I myself have experienced a couple of times where I felt so close to God that I was actually afraid to open my eyes for fear I might see him. I was afraid to reach out lest I should touch him. And these times in my life have been to me like a holy mount experience with the Lord. And I ask you this question, my brother, my sister, very pointedly, have you yourself ever had a holy mount experience with God Almighty? If not, why not? Are you aware that the book of James chapter 4 verse 2 says, Ye have not, because ye ask not. Did you know that? And it's quite possible that there may be a Christian here today who's gone for months or years never having a holy mount experience with God and may who end up going the rest of their Christian life on earth never having that which God offers. Ye have not because ye ask not. All right. Someone says, how do we get a holy mount experience. How can that be possible? Well, it usually comes through something painful, a painful experience, or a persevering experience. It tends to come through one of those two. A painful experience or a persevering experience. Now, interesting, the story of the prodigal son And his elder brother illustrate this perfectly for us. Are you familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Yes. Amen. And you remember his elder brother? Yes. Well, listen carefully. It's found in Luke chapter 15. But the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son was persistent. He was persistent in his sin. 
He went to his father and wanted his share of the inheritance. Why his father gave it to him, I don't know. But his father gave him the share of the inheritance. And in a short time after, he took his leave of home and he went off to Sin City. And there he spent it all. He blew it. Riotous living. Wine, women, and song. He had it all for a short period of time. And then it was all gone. Then there arose a famine in the land. And he was forced to find work. And the only work he could find. Here's a young Jewish boy getting employment. Who knows? Maybe the very first job he ever had off the farm. The only job he could get was feeding pigs. That's not a good job for a Jewish boy. And he was hungry. He was so hungry that the swill and the slop that the pigs would eat started looking appetizing to him. And it was sometime around then that he must have shaken himself and come to his senses. And he said, what am I doing? Even the servants in my father's home have plenty to eat. And here am I. I am the son. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned before you and before heaven. And I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. And this young man, this prodigal son, who was so persistent in his sin was now persistent in his repentance. And he persisted all the way home. He pressed his weary, worn out body all along the road. And his father, who'd been watching for him daily, recognized not the clothing he wore, but the way he walked. And when he realized that's his son, he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the young man said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His father says, stop right there. And calls to one of the servants and says, bring out a robe. Bring out shoes. Bring out a ring for him. Kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry. You remember the story? Maybe there's someone here today who's been persistent in their sin, persistent in their backsliding. They've persistently ignored reading the Bible every day. They've persistently ignored following the Lord and the Lord's leading. Can I encourage you? Take a lesson, learn a lesson from the prodigal son and persist your way right back to Jesus today. You see this young prodigal had a holy mount experience with the father. He did. It turned into a a wonderful reunion. He was only hoping to be made a servant, but he had shoes on his feet, a robe around his shoulders, a ring on his finger. He was reinstated. Now a banquet. And so that's one way in which you and I can find holy ground is through painful experience. But the second way, the second way is through a persevering. Well, let's say this. 
The prodigal son was persistent. That's for sure. But here's something about the elder brother. And you remember when the elder brother came toward the house and he heard all the merrymaking and he asks one of the servants, what is going on? And the servant explained to him why it's your brother. He's, it's like he's come from the dead. There's a big party going on. And the elder brother would not go in the house. You remember this story? And so the father came out to his son, his oldest son. And he said, come, come in. And the elder brother, he said, no. He said, your son took all that money and blew it on riotous living. And me, I've been here on the farm serving you faithfully, consistently. You've never thrown a party for me. And the father said, son, everything I have is yours. But it was right that we should have a party because this was your brother. And he was dead and behold, he's alive again. So it was the right thing to do. But here's my point. The elder brother, he was consistent. He kept there on the farm. He kept doing his job. He kept doing everything that was expected. But he never had a party. He never asked for a party, did he? He never at one time went to his father and said, Father, would you throw a banquet for me? Can we have a banquet together? His father came out and said, everything I have is yours. That elder brother maybe lost sight of the fact that all the riches that the father had were his. And he lost sight of that. And he could have asked for a party. He could have asked for closeness. And he never did. And my point is simply that there are Christians going through the motions. Maybe they even read a little Bible and pray every day. And they pray before their meals. And they come to church services. They put in their offerings. And yet they never have a holy mount experience. They never find holy ground. Why? Ye have not because ye ask not. Isn't that interesting? Some Christians are badly backslidden and need revival. They persistently press their way in close with the heavenly father and they'll find revival and they'll find holy ground. Other Christians are more consistent. They come to church regularly, but they never ask God to lead them up the holy mountain. You know, I think this is why Jesus told us in the sermon on the Mount, That if we will hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be what? Say it. Filled. We shall be filled. That means like to gorge yourself. Filled to overflowing. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. These are the ones that are asking. These are the ones that are pressing in close to God. These are the ones that are following after Jesus. Wherever he goes, I want to be. And I think some of the disciples were this way. The psalmist David said in Psalm 42 verse 1. As the heart. That's like a type of deer. As the heart panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee O God. Christian. Your heart. Do you pant after God day by day? Do you have a desire. A hunger and thirst. To be near him and to know him. Because if you do you will find holy ground. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are the ones. 
that ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Have you had a holy mount experience in your life? If not, why not? One common reason is ye have not because ye ask not. We're not asking and asking and seeking and seeking and knocking and knocking. We're not doing that. And consequently, we're not getting. If we would pant after God, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, if we would drool in our thirst for fellowship with God, we'll find it. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to make a speculation. I believe that God is an equal opportunity God. When he calls to salvation, he calls all to salvation. Not everyone will take God at, at the, his word and will receive Christ. But the offer goes out to all the world. Whosoever will can be saved. Okay? So God is an equal opportunity God. Now the Bible doesn't say what I'm about to say. But I think that Jesus, when he was ready to go up the Mount of Transfiguration, I think he put the invitation out to all of his 12 disciples. He didn't just single out three and say, you come and you stay. Now he might have. But I'm guessing he didn't. I'm guessing that when Jesus was ready to go up the mountain, he said, who wants to go? Where are you going, Jesus? Said the disciples. I'm going up the mountain to pray. How far are you going? I'm going all the way. Anyone want to come? And I think that nine of the disciples said, you know, my feet hurt going to be dark by the time we get up there there's other people down here that could use some help jesus would it be all right if we stayed here jesus said suit yourself but then peter and james and john said jesus can we go could we go with you maybe jesus said now are you sure we're talking 9200 feet it's going to take us eight hours to get up there. You sure you want to go? And they said, yes. These three, Peter, James, and John, the more you get to know them in scripture, the more it sounds right. Wherever you go, Jesus, we want to be there with you. Now, I'm going out on a limb here. But Peter, James, and John felt they wanted to be near him wherever he went. And they found holy ground. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Do you remember the story and how Jesus and the disciples went to their home? What was Martha busy doing? What was she doing? Say it. Cooking in the kitchen. Right? And she was grumbly. She wasn't a happy camper. Why? Because her sister... Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him while she was left in the kitchen to get all the stuff ready. And she was rattling those pots and pans. I'm sure of it. 
And so finally she could stand it no longer. And she came out and said, Lord, bid my sister to get in here and help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled about many things, but Mary hath chosen the better part. It won't be taken from her. Mary found holy ground, didn't she? Am I wrong? She chose right there at the feet of Jesus. The secret to having a holy mount experience seems to be going the extra mile. That's what it seems to me. You want to have a holy mount experience? Then you need to get ready to go the extra mile. Or you could join the other nine disciples and stick around the base camp down there. And the people will come to you with their their demon-possessed kids and you won't be able to cast those demons out. And all the people will start grumbling at you. I think the secret is to go the extra mile with Jesus. And as I understand the Bible, Abraham went the extra mile and Jacob went the extra mile and Moses went the extra mile. King David went the extra mile. Peter went the extra mile. James went the extra mile. John went the extra mile. Mary went the extra mile. Paul went the extra mile. D.L. Moody went the extra mile. You will find a holy mount when you go the extra mile. That means this. You will need to get up early so you can get into your prayer closet to meet with Jesus. Oh, can't we meet with Jesus down at the foot of the mountain? I'm sorry. You'll find him on the top, my friend. But it means an eight-hour climb. Well, ask Peter, James, and John what they want to do. They'll answer you. We're not sticking around here. If Jesus is up there, we're going. But it's going to be a tough climb. So what? You're going to be thirsty along the way. That's all right. You might skin your knee. Oh, pray for me. Wild horses wouldn't keep them back. And yet, how many of us Christians lollygag in bed hour after hour until the very last moment where we fall out of bed into our clothes out the door to work or school. No time for Jesus. No time in the prayer closet. If you want to have a holy mount experience, you must needs go the extra mile. What I have to do in order to get up early is I have to get to bed early. I knew a man and I envy this man so much. He grew up on a farm. He only ever needed Are you ready for this? Four hours sleep. I knew the man personally back in Ottawa. And he was not a skinny little guy. He was big, the size of this pulpit. And I said, what time do you go to bed? He said, oh, it doesn't matter. After four hours, I'm awake. That's it. That's all I need. And I thought, man, Lord, can I do that? No. That was the answer I got. Oh, I have to get to bed early. You may call my home sometime at eight o'clock at night and find the pastor's gone to bed. I'll tell you, the pastor's gone to bed sometimes at seven. Crazy. But I got to get to bed early in order to get up early. Why do you do it? To meet with Jesus. Does it work? Oh, I'm telling you it works. I'm telling you, you will meet with God. You get up early, you do it right, you will meet with God. 
Hallelujah. Whosoever will may come. It's not limited to pastors or evangelists. It's an open invitation for all God's children. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will need to get up early to get in your prayer closet. Listen to this. You'll need to attend more church services. You will need to come forward on more invitations. Why in the world, you say? Because it stretches your faith. That's why. You'll need to go the extra mile if you want to get on top of the Holy Mount. Because that is where you'll find Jesus. Let's stand to our feet for a word of prayer. Beloved, this is January. January is consecration month. The best thing you can do today is consecrate or re-consecrate your life to God. Come on the invitation. Do spiritual business. You know, you can meet with God right here at the front. Come and if you possibly can, if you're physically able, come and get on your knees. Some months ago, I got gout really bad in my left knee. Even today, I can still feel it a little. I was not able to bend that knee. For a guy who loves to bend his knees in the prayer closet, I had a problem. It took me a while to get down there and I'd lay on my face before God. That's the only way I could do it. Would you go the extra mile? Start today. Seek God. Be prepared for a long climb, maybe through your prayer closet. But you will meet with God. But it's up to you. Seek to make this year 2020 the year that you find God on the Holy Mount.